Hello, and welcome to Marvellous Effort That, the all-inclusive podcast for the sporting all-rounder. Each week, we delve into the worlds of football, rugby and cricket, discussing the latest news and views whilst deciding on the greatest matches in sport's big three. I'm Omka Kot, and I'm joined by friend, badger and all-round local hero, Seb Probert Broster. This is Marvellous Effort That, and we'll be with you in just a few moments. much as we'd love to play that all evening. Welcome back to Marvellous Effort That, episode four. Hello Seb, how are you doing? Good thanks Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Look, very looking well. resplendent in your um, cap and I, I mean, you're, you're going to explain what's going on here, surely. Um, not everyone can see the video, we're not quite that uh, up to date yet with the video section of the pod. No. Well, that's, that's mainly due to the management's budget cuts, isn't it? Well, well you can't have it all. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it then. So so obviously, the uh, main reason for our superb intro, um, well, as always, was uh, in about an hour's time, the mighty Albion take on the uh, the Palace down at uh, down at the Amex. So just so gearing, I, th- but... I think you pronounced that incorrectly. I, th- I think it's pronounced scum. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I have to check, but I think that's how you pronounce it. Well, management have said that I'm not allowed to use, you know, such terms. It's, oh, you're—I mean, they've told me that you're already so unpopular with some of your opinions that, you know, it's oh. best that you come up with stuff like that. So. That's fine. Well, not not just my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and the second part of your question, yeah. So, um, I've basically been sporting some new facial hair this week, and and what I've done is because the government have been talking about things like upskilling and reskilling and and so on and i thought well do you know what just in case what i could do is it instead of upskilling or reskilling if i just grow some questionable facial hair in a certain design if any if any acting jobs come up in future for there are basically two roles that i can now perform the first one is any victorian cricketer and and hopefully that yeah. makes sense once you know once the photograph is released of of the current yeah i think sort of, that yeah yeah, yeah. Face situation, and and the second one is, you know, henchman four in some kind of Pablo Escobar documentary or or film. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I can see that. In, in I, the event I'm that also going to come up. Well, I, I would also add that um, if you start practicing your singing as well, you could probably go in as a Lionel Richie Commodores uh, double. But you you'll see when you see the sideburns, they are tremendous. Really, really enjoying that. Really enjoying that. When they come through, all we need to do is get you a microphone for your lid, and then you'll be perfect. Yeah, let's see. Well, we can always we can write to management ourselves and maybe sort that out. But uh, but yeah, yeah no moonlighting. <laughs> well, you know, you can't always help it, but needs must, needs must. And uh, what's the uh, just a quick whiz through the the drink and uh, and weather report for you? Um, I'm sure everyone's dying to know. Port for me this evening. Um, was it really? Yeah, just fancied it. Um, 
if you want me to loosely link it to any kind of sporting reason, um, let's just say it's um, me standing up for Jose and his uh, fabulous start to his career as a manager at Porto because um, I'm fed up of hearing all the crap about how it's his fault when actually, you know, we can talk about that when we get onto the Spurs section. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, let's go. With it. Yeah, Port, yeah, to be honest, we're, um, we're a bit dry in the house at the moment um, and trying to stop drinking as much. Um, so now I'm just going through the stuff that doesn't get drunk very often. So, yeah, yeah on, on to um, nice bottle of Sanderman 30-year port. So why not? Yeah. That's nice. Was that from How your, about yourself? Was that from your usual merchant, out of interest? Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, Henri. I believe it was uh, <laughs> Henri Paul. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, make no, we'll make no jokes about names like that. Not, not in the current climate, anyway. That's fine. <laughs> uh, how about yourself? Um, I thought I saw you, uh, you, you had a proper beverage this week. Yeah, I've actually, I've gone for a lager beer, a premium lager beer from from Belgium. Um, oh, it's, you might have heard of it. Stella Artois. Oh, Stella Artois. So, yes. uh, yeah, it's my, it's my local guy. I mean, he, he, he absolutely cleans up when I walk in because he's always got these superb deals going on and he's only, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's the trade-off between paying four quid less and lugging it 200 yards further from Lidl or I can just lug it, you know, 100 yards and pay a little bit more. So, it's a simple trade-off but, you know, these these businesses need the support, so uh, yeah, yeah, got to got to keep them in business. It's a great lager as well, particularly out of a bottle. Fair, I'll, I'll have to take your word for that. But we'll, um, yeah, we can come to that. Yeah, but yeah, other than that, it looks pretty good outside. Um, early rain today, and I think tomorrow the sun's going to come out and um, some cracks should open up, so <clears> I can avoid running again just in case I fall down them. Well, you could at least get the keys out if the cracks are leading into open. <laughs> oh, the Julius Marlowe's. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be good. I think there'll be small nuggets of the 12th man cut into this series where people are going, what on earth are they laughing about? There's nothing funny about oh, it. Ha- yeah. If you haven't heard the 12th man, then go directly from this intro to the 12th man. Yeah. In fact, just leave, leave the pod now. There's no point listening mm. to the next, you know, the next hour plus that you'll never get back from your life. Spend it wisely. <laughs> um, although to be fair you know speaking of things that that are wise and, and lots of things that aren't wise typically I think there's been a bit of a theme across marvellous effort now sorry marvellous effort that now that um, we, we often give you the, the opposite of wisdom and, and management this week uh, in terms of their section have, have wished for us to, to create what's called the correction section which is an official forum and, and safe space for us to voice and air any of the fake news or questionable uh, agendas or items that we kind of brought in the week before. Um, so, so to kick off the correction section, unfortunately, Seb, we've got, we've got two instances for you. Uh, yeah. The, the first of which is this rogue footballer called Reno Gattuso, who you brought up last week. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, it was close enough. G- Gennaro, isn't it? Isn't that his name? Correct. Gen- yeah, there we go. Well, Ger- yeah, it's close. Reno's fine, isn't it? Ish. <laughs> It'll do. You knew who I was talking about. We 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 got there in the end, but um, yeah. Just on a side note, for anyone who um, is familiar with YouTube, I definitely look up uh, a story about Gattuso and Gaza um, up at Rangers. 
just uh, on a side note, definitely worth a watch and uh, best told by Ali McCoist rather than either of us. So uh, uh, yeah. we'll have a look now. Um, a very, a very nausy one, but you've admitted yourself that as a nause, you, you kind of deserve this one. Now, okay. you, you said that Paolo Maldini's nickname was El Capitan. Um, Spanish, which, isn't it? Which, which I believe is Spanish. In fact, yeah. his nickname was, was Il Capitano. So just oh. put through that one. Yeah, that's that's upsetting. I'm yeah, I'm pretty disappointed in my uh, linguistics there. Mm. Um, so that's a bit of a shame. You've also done a bit of a mido, and what I mean by that is, you, you said to me, you brought up the sort of rogue stat that asked me to clarify it, which was, yeah, he must uh, have played, he must have played a thousand games for Milan, and it turns out he played six hundred and forty-seven games for Milan. Well, see, so, so now this is where listeners are going to really enjoy how <laughs> how how nausy this next <laughs> segment is going to be is that I also felt the need to double-check this statistic. And um, <laughs> he played 747 league games for Milan, but he played over 900 games in competitions for Milan. So I don't, I, I don't feel I'm as far out as you're, you're making here. Well, I'm clearly getting my 647 from the same people that are supplying my rugby stats. <laughs> <laughs> no, six, four, I'm pretty sure I saw that figure somewhere, and that was the total league games, which is a phenomenal figure for anyone. Um, how many league games are they playing a year in Serie A? <laughs> yeah, don't be me already. Yes, got him. <laughs> right. Well, let's let, let's just move it on because I'm actually going to bring it back to Gattuso because I think I think Gattuso was. You, you asked me also that was his nickname the General, mm. and I think it was Gattuso. That's yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, Gennaro. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wasn't sure, so I actually went away and did some reading on uh, people who are nicknamed the General. And, and I did actually dig quite deep. And, and basically, the only person I came up with or found that was nicknamed the general was Charles de Gaulle. Oh, well. So, I, uh, you know, probably not the most kind of sporty um, individual, certainly to my knowledge. But um, at least we can clear that one up. That I'm not aware of any Italian footballers that are nicknamed the general. Um, only French politicians. Well, I'm, I'm impressed so, that anyone French has got the nickname the general, given their fame for waving white flags. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I, I'm I'm happy to hear this. I mean, I'll take it. I mean, that's a good bit of knowledge. I'll use that in future pub quizzes. Oh, I've got management in my ear already. Please. Well, um, you know, although, as, as, as as part of that research project, I did actually come across a fantastic nickname which I wasn't aware of. Um, for for the great um, interplayer oh, yeah. Javier Zanetti. Who, who was nicknamed the tractor because he ploughed the sidelines at San Siro for nearly oh, that's ten years. Very good. Thought was fantastic. Very good. I've yeah, never yeah. come across that before. Um, which got me thinking. I think it would be a really good opportunity to get um, any listeners out there who want to send in um, any of their best sort of nicknames or perhaps the nickname stories from the worlds of cricket, football, and rugby. We'd love to hear them, and we'll definitely read them out um, as part of the corrections section next week um, to take your mind off some of the fake news we'll give you in the next hour. <laughs> so. Um, Definitely sending your, uh, your shouts for the greatest nicknames across football, rugby and cricket and hopefully some stories behind those as well. Um, that'll be very welcome. Any, any nicknames come to mind for you just off, off the bat there, Seb, from, from the world of sport? No, I mean, I'd know loads, but none with any, you know, not, none that are great. Let, let me come back to you next week. Um, I, I meant more for, you know, the internationals. Uh, well, I mean, 
look, if you, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I, know, I don't mean my own nicknames. Um, for example, so um, Jonathan Davis, uh, Lions and Wales centre, is um, known as the Fox. And his brother is known as Cubby Boy because he's younger than the Fox, the Fox Cub. It's because their parents owned a pub, mm. I believe, called the Fox and Hounds. So that's why oh, okay. he's called Fox. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. That's right. Yeah, well, you know, let's let's see what what people get back to us, and we'll see if we can come up with the best one next week. Yeah, let's do that. We can maybe think about awarding some sort of, you know, pretzel prize oh, or, for the best for the best nickname. If, if we're that impressed, yeah, definitely. Um, but speaking of prizes, it's uh, a good way to to lead us into Cots quiz results um, last week. Now I've had some feedback. Actually, the questions were quite hard, and that feedback was actually yeah. from you. Yeah, they um, were. Which which is which is fair enough, but you know, it's a fine line between kind of, you know, making it so easy that it's pointless or <laughs> so difficult that no one's going to write in. So, um, just to refresh, I asked for the we, we did a game of fives last week, and I asked for the five Manchester United players to have won the World Cup whilst playing for Manchester United. I asked for um, the five cricketers who have taken four hundred Test wickets and scored over three thousand runs, and I asked in rugby for the five leading all-time try scorers in the Six Nations. Now, just a quick one on the Six Nations. I did have uh, one particular Norse who goes by the name of uh, Mr. Will McKegney, um, who asked me, with that one, do you mean the, the Six Nations or do you, does that include no, the five? Oh, that is, yeah, very good. Well. No, I, I like that. That is, that is the, the level of Norse that we all aspire to. Well done, sir. Well done. Well, it would be a pretty short you know, list if it was only we, the Six Nations is my only caveat, I would say, to that yeah, I mean, I I thought, well, fair enough. But still, you know, the, the, when somebody says the five leading all-time try scorers in the Six Nations, I think that's pretty much a given. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, from whenever the, whenever the first tournament was. So, uh, just, you know, regardless of how many teams are playing. I mean, it wasn't it four. It must have been four when it started. Indeed. The home right. nations, yeah. Or three. Probably, yeah. yeah. Not entirely so, sure uh, when they let the Irish cross the river. Um, not sure. Hmm. Well, there we go. But uh, yeah, as always, it's customary for me to let you uh, have a stab just off uh, off the top of your head as to what you can offer. So uh, do you want to uh, take on any of these just before uh, I sort of run through the uh, With the cricket, um, Jack Callis is going to be on the list, surely. Oh, that is incorrect. Sorry. Incorrect. That, that incorrect. Oh, what, 3,000 runs, 400 wickets or 4,000 runs, 300 wickets? What was the... 400 wickets, 3,000. Oh, he didn't get 400 wickets. Hmm. No, he didn't get 400. Oh, Jesus. Um, oh, let's go, let's go rogue. Yuvraj. Is he on there? Yeah, incorrect. He hasn't got the wickets. Probably got the runs, though. Um, yeah. I'm not going to do very well on this one, I don't think. Um, I'll, I'll take three more guesses. I'll take your first five guesses. So, 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 oh, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Quick game's a good game, I suppose, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, it is with five, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go with Imran Khan. Incorrect. Oh, no way. But at least you're consistent. I mean, you can't. You can't. I, yeah, I, did, I didn't think I'd do very well on this one. Um, Bo- Beefy? Ian Botham, is he on there? Yeah, incorrect. Oh, my God. Dreadful form from me. Um, I'm trying to think of any. 
Oh, go on for for the laugh. Shane Watson, why not for a laugh? Yeah, in, incorrect. Right, go on. Hit me with hit me with five <laughs> correct answers. Um, so the five the five cricketers I was looking for, uh, Stuart Broad. Wow. Sir Richard Hadley. Yes, of course. Sean Pollock. Oh. Capel Dev. Capel Dev. Yeah. And Shane Keith Warne. I nearly said Warney. Oh, it's the greatest Victorian to ever yeah. be a Victorian. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so, yeah, that's where we end up on there. So, what do you want to take on next? Uh, let's go with the rugby. We'll go next with the yeah. rugby. Um, top try scorers. Um, just just before we get into these, yeah, go on. I, I didn't, I didn't realise that there... I asked for five. I mean, there are... The, the fifth position, there are two people tied fifth. So right, I OK. Um, I mean... Uh, Bod's going to be on there. Bron O'Driscoll has to be. Uh, Bod is correct. Um, George North. He George North loads. is correct. He is correct. He's in at four, George North. Is he in at four? Um, so, oh, uh, Greenwood. He scored five in a game, so he's got to be up there. Or four in a game against Wales. Um so, yeah, Will Greenwood will be on there, definitely. Uh, will Greenwood is incorrect. <gasps> um, despite oh. the fact he'll definitely be there, as you told us. So, oh. um, I'm pretty shocked by that. Um, I'm going to put that on for the correction section. Yeah, well, well, no, because we know that it's wrong now. <laughs> it doesn't need to be corrected. <laughs> well, I'm afraid management aren't that, uh, that lightweight with this. Um, Shane Williams, is he on there? Shane Williams is on there, correct. Um, he's in at three. He's in at three. Who was number one? Have I said it yet? Bod. Bod. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So we've got Bod. No, I've already got one wrong, haven't I? So um, should we go with the Froggy? Um, it's not going to be a Scott, is it? Not unless we're delving into the deepest, darkest history. Um, well, they've got very good stats. I used to work with someone in London. Um, whose father is a Scottish and uh, Lions representative, and he holds the record for the most caps for a for an international winger without scoring a try. I think he's capped for like fifty times by Scotland without <laughs> scoring a try. <laughs> well, we can't beat stuff like lad. Um, who else? Um, I want to say someone French, don't I? Um, oh, someone from the from the great team of the two thousands, um, Vincent Clerc. Let's go with him, Vincent. Well, given the theme of the evening, this is this is also incorrect. So oh, I'm gonna Jesus, go on then. Um, Hit me with the top five. I'm gonna have to spoil everything for you. Um, so Bod obviously had at number one. Yeah. Uh, Ian Smith was number two. Oh, Ian Smith. Uh, the old, uh, the old Scottish player, and uh, joint fifth, uh, Gareth Edwards and Rory Underwood. Oh, Rory Underwood, of course. 18 each, so uh, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, oh. I, would, I would say well played, but uh, uh, at least I got some right on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a start. So, hopefully, uh, a quick fire through the football. Five Manchester United players that won the World Cup whilst at Manchester United. Oh, I mean, literally, not a clue. Um, I mean, one, one of them is very easy. Uh, <laughs> well, if I told you he was from England, then that, that must make it pretty easy. Uh, still, no. Oh yeah, Charlton. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> uh, 
Don't say athletic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bobby, go on. Bobby, correct. Absolutely. Um, yeah. oh, okay. I don't know. I was, I'm thinking literally of like like modern players like Ronaldo, but I don't think Portugal have won the World Cup, have they? Um, well, they but you're on the right lines. I mean, I'll, shall, shall I go through Yeah, them? just go through them, yeah. We're, we're probably losing listeners by now if anyone is still here. So, yeah, um, yeah we've got uh, from 66, Nobby Styles and John Connolly. Mm. Um, and then both from 2018 for France, Paul Pogba and Anthony Martial. Oh, yes. So, Lovely. So, uh, a brief uh, a brief sort of uh, work through our two entrants this week. We only had two entrants Um which I think was the same as the week before. but Were they the same entrance as well? Well, they weren't actually, interestingly. One of them was Mr. Joe Ludlow. He's I told you, keen quizzer, told you. Um, and uh, yeah, some good answers from him across the board. He got pretty much everybody. Uh, he got all of the football bar one correct. He got all of the cricket bar one correct. And he got um, well, only two on the rugby, actually. And we had a Mr. B.R.A. B. Moulton from, from Ramsgate, who's written in as well. Um, uh, assisted by uh, Mr. Thomas Moulton. Oh, uh, yes. I'm and no saying. doubt Mr. Roger Moulton as well. Uh, well, it doesn't say that here, so I'm not going to jump to any conclusions. I can only go off what's been told. Um, but, yeah, some, some good answers. I won't run through all of those across the board. I'm, I'm afraid to say that none of them got all of them correct, but I think, um, you know, for for the endeavours that they've put through so far, I'm, I'm going to be happy to award um, certainly Benjamin Moulton the first prize this week, and I'll uh, look at a suitable second uh, second place for a great effort for uh, Mr. Joseph Ludlow, considering that he wasn't assisted by uh, anybody as well in his efforts. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, um, yeah. Now, a bit of a rogue shout from him was was Will Carling for the rugby, and uh, although that's you know pretty rogue, it is the name of of a lager beer, so you can't really go wrong with that either. So, well, yes, and as a member of the Lager Academy, I can quite see why he's picked him. Correct. <laughs> Um, so well done to both of you and thanks ever so much for uh, for tuning in for that one. Now, um, final bit for the kind of opening section as always is the, the Provo problem. I know you've been having a bit of a moan about various things already today, but uh, what have you got for us? Um, oh, do you know what? I, so many things to moan about that I've already moaned about in three episodes. Um, what shall I have a bash at today? I'm going to have a bash at Twitter, um, which is loosely going to be a bash at armchair supporters. Okay. Um, I just real issue I've got is that it's so easy to fire something off the hip um, in 180 characters and not think it through and think it's acceptable to write that stuff down. Mm. Um, and this isn't me being some nausy hashtag be kind bullshit. This is um, this is like fully fully grown adult, usually men, um, <laughs> some women as well, um, just writing rubbish about anyone referees players coaches um just complete lack of intelligence um massive lack of integrity mm. um just very toxic area to be in um to be honest and i've kind of pulled myself away from twitter because I, I was quite enjoying it you know at the beginning of the year i was spending a lot of time reading it because you know it's a bit like the comment section on the daily mail website i don't go there very often but it's a rabbit hole that occasionally brings you great joy mm. um and unfortunately, uh, Twitter's not been doing that for me recently. Um, certainly not on the sporting front. You know, people people don't have reason to debate anymore. I think people just say outrageous things um, and then just think it's acceptable. Like for, for example, a you know, great example. Um, I, I moaned last week about pundits saying outrageous things. Um, and now this is going to be me 
moaning about people responding to what pundits said. So <laughs> Matt Dawson said about Owen Farrell, um, saying that, um, yeah, saying Owen Farrell's holding England back and that's why they're not playing very well. And then on a podcast, a well-known podcast, um, a current player then went on and called in a profanity. I believe we're not allowed to swear, are we? So I won't say it, but it's it's out there. And if you follow rugby, you'll have heard it. And just pathetic, um, absolutely pathetic. And then a day later or two days later, they've all had to come out and apologise and say it was it was edited poorly and it wasn't the right thing to say and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't. It was just a grown man throwing his toys out the pram and not thinking before he spoke because he disagreed with what someone said. Instead of actually coming up with a reasoned response, just swore at him and said he was out of touch because he was so old. Mm. Um which, you know, and that is essentially what you get from armchair fans on Twitter. So my thing is now is um, let, let the professionals uh, get on with it and uh, let people like me have my opinion and then agree with it. And that's how we should go. Well, thanks so much for enlightening us with that, as always. So um, brought to you by Night Nurse. Now, unfortunately, we come some sad news uh, in the news section uh, on the cricket front and there's been a, a real turnaround out in India for England having had such a great victory in the first test um, to go and well cock it all up in uh, in game number two now it was pretty much one way traffic from ball one and day one but how did you uh, how did you find that uh, that second game what were your thoughts and overall sort of take from it in uh, in 60 seconds? Um, very, very quickly from me, I think um, occasionally you get caught up in your own hype um, and I think it's good to be confident, good to have that in the camp, but if you're going to play the way that England are playing at the moment, which is a huge um, squad rotation system because they're in a bubble and they're trying to get people playing, then you, you've got to have a, a certain base level of expectation and I think they've let themselves down there. Um, I would also put in there, taking nothing away from how India performed, because they definitely did, and especially Ashwin keeping me in the hunt with the wickets. Um, if you, you know, it's it's this, it's the same old rubbish that that they serve up on the pitch, isn't it? Uh, you know, they get they get pumped quite comfortably in the first test, so they doctor a wicket perfectly to ensure that they don't in the second. Um, we've fallen for it again and played like idiots. Some of our attacking players could have played one-day cricket on that pitch and we could have finished it in three days, would have been fine. Would have been closer than if we nerdled it around and just forgotten how to play spin after three tests. But we'll see. You know, there's another two more tests to go. There's no point in being too glum about it, but things to work on. Yeah, and I know we, we touched upon a few of the elements of the game last week because we recorded just before day five, or sorry, the final mm. day. Um, but... Uh, but look, the one the one takeaway for me certainly to, to be positive, Ben Folks was absolutely immaculate. Yes. And anyone phenomenal. Anyone that knows me knows I've been harping on about him, and I'm sure I'm not the only one out there that does. But um, you know, there's a real it, it's very rare you see somebody that good in their role, particularly mm. as a keeper. Yeah. Um and you know, to the spin, to the seam, he was absolutely immaculate. A couple of stumpings here and there, but you know, give him a run of games in the team. Uh, I think, you know, we we're set for a fantastic keeper batsman for a a good few years to come, hopefully. So. Yeah, and I think that's it as well, isn't it? Hopefully now it's a time where the selectors look at it and go, actually, he's performed so well with the gloves, he can actually keep his spot as a gloveman rather than trying to consistently pick good batsmen who can keep. Mm. 
you want a wicketkeeper who can bat. That's really the the order, I think, in international cricket. Yeah. If, if, certainly test cricket. For sure, for sure. Um, and great scenes, just a quick one on uh, West Indies Bangladesh in the second test. I don't know if you saw the, and this was absolute scenes with the man mounting himself, Raheem Cornwall, oh, steaming legend. around after taking out the <laughs> wickets that he did. I mean, <laughs> what a performance and what, what an absolute sea of phenomenal photographs coming out of that game. Yeah, I, I didn't catch much of it. I just saw the back end of the reports and it's uh, they're, they're, hopefully West Indies cricket will be back on back on the map because they have, they have some of the best fans, I think, out there. I don't know if, you, if you've ever had the pleasure of going to the Oval and seeing England against the West Indies you'll, or if you've had the even bigger pleasure of being out in the Caribbean, um, you, you'll know what it's all about and hopefully they'll have something to sing about and, and, and there'll be a good laugh in the next series we have. Absolutely. And that just reminds me, um, I did ask last week, or was it the week before, um, if anyone was listening in from the West Indies or Bangladesh uh, to get in touch. And I have actually had one response from somebody. Uh, <laughs> Sefton Dosi, who emailed in to say, uh, I'm listening from Bangladesh. Now, it's it's great to hear that we've got support, you know, such a long way around the world. But w- what I found interesting is that I'm pretty sure that I've been to Mr. Dosi's house um, and, and it, it, it's located in the great city of Brighton and Hove so uh, the jury's out on that one but thanks ever so much <laughs> if, uh, if you happen to be on some sort of trip to Bangladesh last week then fair play for, for writing in um, a bit of a, a quieter week obviously no Six Nations um, for mm. the rugby but um, a couple of derbies in the English Premiership and uh, I saw a good win for Quinns at the weekend as well yeah, do you know? Do you know what? Um, not not just a great win for Quinns um, again against the odds. I think people were banking Sale to do a job this year mm-hmm. um, and certainly be knocking at the top of the table. So great, great result for them. Actually, lots of controversy and, and decent games out of the weekend um, for a quiet one. I'll, I'll rattle through quickly because I know we we need to move on. Yeah. Um, Exeter lost to Northampton thirteen um, twelve, and the highlight of that was uh, the last kick of the game conversion to win it from the sidelines. Um, and it was the referee adjudged Sam Simmons to have um, moved his body and started his run up and uh, it was charged down before he even got close to the ball to kick it. <laughs> um, so some, obviously all the Chiefs fans are saying, oh, well, you know, the wind must have blown in and they're obviously they're disgruntled and Northampton are saying, get on with it. A lot of ex players have come out and said, it is what it is. So, um, I'm on the fence with it. Yeah, I think if I if I if I were to say as a fan who's only seen highlights and and, and got hold of the video footage I have, the video footage isn't very good. Um, so I I wouldn't want to make a decision either way. But you have to accept what the referee says. Um, Midlands derby, Leicester against Wasps, three red cards in that game. So <laughs> again, we talked about people running into rucks and and getting headshots and getting sent off with a two in that game and a tip tackle tip tackle in the last few minutes just for good measure. So that one rearing its ugly head. Um, but yeah, Leicester managing to, they, they got the first red card um, and also the second as well, but they came out victors 27-8. Um, and then the the result of the weekend, I don't know if you caught that, was on Sunday when um, London Irish overturned a 31-13 deficit to draw 34 with um, league favourites Bristol, um, which was a, a stunning game. If you get a chance to, um, to, to see that back, a really stunning game of rugby. Um, not often you get a, a draw that's um, quite as exciting as that. Um, but, yeah, definitely have a look at that. For sure. Well, yeah, I look forward to uh, resumption of the Six Nations, obviously, next week. We'll touch upon uh, a bit of a mini At the end, yeah, sure. Now, 
um, I don't think there's any point in really looking at uh, any league football in England. We've had European football return this week and some absolutely brilliant games. Um, just starting with yeah. a round off Champions League wise, uh, obviously huge performance from PSG was probably the game of uh, of this particular week uh, for most people's money and, and good to see Liverpool. Uh, well, for some anyway, I, I, I certainly don't mind seeing them win in Europe. Um, win at, uh, away at Leipzig on uh, on Tuesday, I think it was, and uh, a hammering performance from PSG who basically killed that tie now against Barcelona going into uh, the second leg in a couple of weeks' time. Um, any any particular thoughts on, on the Champions League that we've had so far? Um, let's see. Let's see how we go when we get to the um, to the pointy end because obviously we're still wheedling out the weaker opposition um, and there are no fans, so I don't think we can read too much into to a lot of it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to commit. That's fine. <laughs> but a good a good week of football. Let's put it that way. There's some great matches. Um, if you get a chance to see the Dortmund um, goals as well, they were very good. Um, Jordan Sancho, Jaden Sancho, sorry. Before management getting my grill, um, got uh, on the end of a decent one, and Haaland scored a decent scissor kick. If you get, if you, uh, yeah, that was a good game. Very good. And then just moving on to uh, on to Thursday, um, we'll give you your twenty seconds of Tottenham section now. But a fantastic win away in uh, in Germany. I mean, they're, they're average, um, and we played well in the first half. Gareth Bale was very good. He was also very good yesterday against West Ham, um, even in in defeat. So hopefully, if he gets a run of games, we'll we'll see a bit more of him. But he he certainly seems to be pulling the strings. Um, great result for us. Yeah, not 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 much more to say. Let's let's keep talking about that because we might actually win something. <laughs> we won't talk about the league. <laughs> Superb. And uh, and just to round off um, in terms of European football this week, I think it's fair to say that we've saved the best till last. And what an unbelievable win uh, for Rangers coming from behind uh, away at Royal Antwerp in the week and. Given results yesterday um, at Dingwall, they're only uh, two wins and a draw now away from from the league title. Stephen Gerrard's side are doing some serious things uh, up north of the border, um, but what an amazing victory there! And uh, you know, you you were te- texting me when you were watching the highlights of that one. And, uh... Oh, really great! I, 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 not I, I won't wax local about it because they're your club. I'll let you talk about it. Um, but the one thing that I will add to this is that um, regardless of um, who you support. Um, and what you think of Spurs as a club, they lost away at Antwerp. And people who are talking about whether Scottish football is good enough and whether they would do well enough in the Premier League, this is an example where they've gone away and scored four goals and one. And uh, and, and Spurs, who are considered a top team in, in the Premier League, didn't. So mm. there's your answer to the people who want to knock them. For sure. And it's you know an amazing thing to see Stephen Gerrard go up there. You know, It's a huge responsibility to take, take control. I mean, in... I think in 150 years, that club have had something like 16 or 17 managers. Um, Mm. And it just goes to show, you know, yes, you're given time, but it comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of expectation as well, um, given the size of the trophy cabinet or the trophy room that they have at Ibrox. So I'm fantastic Mm. to see them win in the week and uh, another win um, against Dundee United on Sunday. And uh, that league title is pretty much done and dusted. So great to be able to focus on on Europe and hopefully bring some silverware back to to Ibrox. You've popped something in the side there, and if if they do um, do win at Celtic Park and seal the title, that would be a, 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 an absolute delight to see. <laughs> but it's a proper football club. Uh, no, no, it's a proper football club, and we spoke about this. Um, yeah, Stevie G is an ex player, and he's probably got the nod because of his reputation as a player. But he's he's 
he's gone outside of mm-hmm. England. He's gone to a hard club to manage. If you don't do well, you'll be nailed to the walls. Um, and he's not at a club um, where certain ex-players in the Premier League have been given millions upon millions of pounds to go out and sign. He is working with a with a squad that he's essentially inherited and brought a few players in, but certainly not, you know, your, your £50 million signings. Um, I think he's done a cracking job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll certainly hear... Uh, you know, hear more from from them throughout the season, and um, definitely keep track of how they're faring. Now, uh, time to move on to our um, greatest games. Obviously, we we run through, and it's time. I think the number seven for cricket and rugby, and sticking with the Rangers theme, um, it, we're actually going to head back to London in the summer of 1996 for a match that was sealed uh, with a moment of magic from one of Glasgow's greatest ever talents. for having to cut the uh, cut the great tune short but uh, we do have to move on with a bit of bit of chat around this game and uh, just before we get into it I actually wanted to pick up on something for this week that um, is very kind of badgery and kind of semi-nausy which is uh, there are actually one of the great things about the three sports that we're covering in this pod um, are the links between all of them which which I know may sound obvious but a lot of sports don't actually share such close ties as these three in particular and um Usually it's kind of cricket with one of either football or rugby, but um, we'll just go through a couple of little nuggets for some of the badgers out there as well uh, in, terms yeah. of the, uh, in terms of the games. Now, uh, this, of course, uh, the game I'm referring to is, uh, is part of Euro 96. It was Saturday the 15th of June uh, at Wembley, England versus Scotland, um, the big, big derby in the home nations and uh, a group game in Group A um, of the tournament that England were obviously hosting. Now, the, the little badgery bit I was going to get in was this is obviously football's oldest international fixture. Um, but interestingly, the first match took place uh, at the West of Scotland Cricket Club in Glasgow, um, which is uh, yeah one for the uh, one for the badgers out there. Now, um, in terms of build up for this particular tournament, obviously huge. It was the last time that um, England had uh, had hosted a tournament, but also uh, not long after uh, the side hadn't qualified for Euro '92 and also had come in the sent come. Uh, fourth, I think, in, in Italia 90, having been knocked out in the semis by, by West Germany, who went on to win. Um, the tune we obviously heard was uh, released shortly before this tournament, and it's probably fair to say it's the largest football anthem we've ever had and probably will ever have in this country. 
Not Vindaloo. <laughs> well, you can't beat a bit of... I actually found a copy of um, of Jerusalem by Fat Les today. Believe it oh, or not. crikey. Oof. Which actually was vaguely vaguely acceptable. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Jerusalem being uh, sort of covered by anybody, but mm. um, I think Fat Les did a reasonable job. But we can uh, yeah. we can correct that next week if need we'll be. We'll skirt that over, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously more famous... <clears throat> Than, than most, and we'll come on to the game obviously soon. Is is the pre-match uh, preparation from England pre-tournament night out in Hong Kong, which was interestingly oh, sanctioned yes. by by Terry Venables. And did you manage to see any of the, the videos from that? Because it, oh yeah, it's uh, some of it is yeah. I mean, why on earth would you sanction those players on like a just? I mean, yeah. <laughs> this this is quite. It's what I would say. It's not because they're obviously full professionals, and I know professionalism is, is completely different for, um, for for football. But it's a bit like you know when you talk about the crack on the '97 uh, Lions video, and it's, it's mm. just a different era. And I think these guys still in, in, encompass that whole amateur. Let's get together and, and have a few beers and be mates, rather than we're all pros playing for the greater good. We're actually a bunch of teammates who are going out, and, and this is how we're building. None, none yeah. of that sort of crap stuff where you're in bloody. Um, naval boats going underwater as your team building. This is, um, yeah, when Gaz is pouring a pint of tequila down your throat on it. <laughs> well, strictly speaking, it was just a trip to the dentist, wasn't it? So well, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was part of the routine medical. Yeah, don't, don't, don't want to be libeled here. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, led from the front, there's obviously Tony Adams, the great, the great stalwart for, for both Arsenal and England. But um, particularly, I think there was a quote, and I can't remember if it was. No, we're not. We're not going to get into this now, Seb. So just, just shut up <laughs> now. Because I think it was was it Adams at Arsenal that said, or was it the gaffer that came in one day? It might have been George Graham that came into the dressing room one day and said, um, "We're not a, <laughs> we're not a, sorry, we're not a football team. We're the drinking problem. We're a uh, a drinking team <laughs> with a football team problem. With yes, a football very problem. good. Yeah, so, certainly yeah, that Arsenal team would have been. Yeah, you know, looking at the England eleven. Well, certainly the squad. I mean, it was one of the best, you know, it was one of the best all-round squads England have ever had, to be honest, looking yeah, at the team with, you know... We, we spoke about this, didn't we? we? We said this was the the kind of the the lost era, wasn't it? This was, you know, they just, they waste, the wasted the wasted era, wasn't it? We talked about the class of 92 and how that was quite, I mean, but this was something else. I mean, anyone who gets a Corinthians model made out of them has, you know, got to go down in football folklore. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I would actually argue that, the, well, the golden age, and not just because I it was my team growing up, was was the 06 World Cup side. Yeah. With the Lampards and the Terriers and the Ferdinands and the Gerrards and everybody. And I think, you know, on paper, it would have been a great game to watch, you know, between this England side and that side. But, you know, some of the all-time greats. I mean, for, for most people's money, the, um, the, the most naturally gifted player who will come to was, was obviously the talisman for England in midfield in this game. And, um, you know, Alan Shearer was hot property. But interestingly, you know, he'd spent 21 months before this tournament, Shearer, without scoring for England. So, mm. for him to actually come uh, come good, I think he did manage to get on the score sheet in the opening game against uh, against Switzerland and, um, you know, headed home for England to go ahead. I mean, Wembley was an absolute pitcher that day as well. Oh, Beautiful yeah. Sunday. Um, I think one of the great, you know, occasions for not just the England-Scotland game, to have it at a major tournament in London, Um you know, it's one of the clear reasons why, you know, I felt certainly, and I think most England supporters would agree, uh, it would have to make it would have to make the top ten, if if not the top five or top three, for lots of people, I'm sure. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, 
Definitely. But I know that uh, just prior to this, you were discussing, um, you'd forgotten about David Seaman's save. And the Scots, you know, the Scots themselves had a brilliant side or certainly a useful side with um, with some of the players that they had. And Gordon Jury won um, won that penalty in the uh, in the 77th minute off Tony Adams, funnily enough. He yeah. never thought, that, you know, <laughs> be able to make a mistake that bad on the big stage. What a save from uh, from David Seaman. Ten minutes after his uh, Gordon Banks-esque save off, uh, off McCoy. Yeah. Off Jury, sorry. Well, um, for me, I, this is this is one of those matches that I don't think we'll ever see again. Um, not, I'm sorry, it's a bit of a stupid comment to make, but you know what I mean. It's, it, this was for me. Maybe it was my age. Maybe that's why I look back at it so romantically. Um, everything about it was it was just perfectly set up. I would have been um, eleven. Uh, ten actually, not quite eleven, going into go, going into this tournament, and you, just everything about it was was a buzz. I mean, when was the last time? Like you say, I mean, we'll never get a tune like Three Lions, but that was released mm. and it kind of set the tone for the summer, didn't it? You yeah, know, we, we we had had. Um, well, we'll we'll talk about your favourites later on. We'd obviously had the release of that the year before, so it was a good it was a good period for British music. Let's put it that way. Um, mm. And I think it was all encapsulated by this squad. Somehow this squad brought everyone together. And, and I know what you say about the 06 squad, about the talent they had. This was more of a, a team, an actual team, rather than, yeah. than a group of talented players. Um, there are some people there that you'll look at and go, really, are, are they going to go down as some of the best players that have ever played? I mean, look, you know, I, I love Darren Anderton, um, but probably not. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, he's a, fa- a fantastic. That's harsh. Fantastic player. I mean, if he if he if he stayed fit for his career, he would have he would probably have gone down as one of the greatest. But um, he didn't, so he won't. Um, for me, this. But you, you're right though. This game had everything, didn't it? Um, not only is it the the oldest rivalry, it had the penalty save. Um, it had Shearer coming back into form. Um, it just had everything, uh, and at the home of football as well. And that's and and what more could you ask for? Mm. Then that that last bit that I mean I don't know if you want us to go there yet with um, with <laughs> with the second goal but I, I don't think I've ever seen a goal quite like it since what it means in that situation in that game I I, I mean I I'm, I'm willing to be shot down but I just there, think... so so there's a man who used to captain me at, at Horsham Cricket Club and. He's one of the very few people on this planet that I'm genuinely jealous of. Mm. And and the reason why I'm jealous of this particular individual is because he was at that match and saw this goal with his own eyes and still remembers it. Mm. He wasn't in a condition that he didn't remember it or he was away, yeah. you know, getting another beer in and missed it. He he saw this goal with his own eyes. Now, there are very few players that genuinely light up a football field. And I think if you go through the history of English football, there are great players, but there are players that are great people as well. And Paul Gascoigne, for, for most people's money, and certainly of the last 20, 30 years, was easily the most gifted player of his generation and most naturally talented footballer. I think this country or this potentially even this island, you know, for many people's money have produced. We had a, a chat about John Charles, obviously, in episode yeah, two. Yeah. Um, but I think from from the modern era, you know, Gaza has to be certainly up there in terms of his ability as a player, but just his um, his general 
his general personality as a, as a as a person, and everyone identified with him. And you know, he'd gone from club to club. He was playing for Rangers at the time, but you know, he'd have some fantastic memories across his time at Spurs, Newcastle, and yeah. he was obviously the the poster boy, if you like, for for Italia '90, where he kind of burst on the scene. And um, mm. you're right, I think coming back to the uh, that particular moment after the Seaman save off uh, of Gary McAllister. Um, you, you know the one bit that really stands out for me is, is seeing Colin Hendry, who was still a top defender of that that particular era, having won the league at Blackburn a few years ago. Yeah, completely, completely flat on his ass. I mean, wow. it, it was a beautiful pass from Darren Anderson, and I think that that actually is a bit underrated. I want to pick up on that because Anderson absolutely beautifully timed that ball through, and I I do not understand how <laughs> how you even have the kind of the foresight to come up with what Gascoigne did. When he flicked it up with that left foot of his, that, and it, it didn't just go over Henry's head. I mean, it went a good 15, 20 feet in the air. This ball before coming down, and he absolutely leathered it into that sort of bottom no, of just, the net. Sometimes you have moments where, um, certainly in football, you, you, I mean, you, you've got to have the talent to be able to do it. You've got to, to to put it in the right area. But sometimes things just stick to you like glue, don't they? And and. You touch it and it and, and and the first touch was just perfect, wasn't it? And that bounced bounced perfectly for him. And then he's just just absolutely wellied it. Another day he might have put it twenty yards over the bar. You, you know, but it would every the, the stars aligned for him. Um I, I and, and it pains me because actually one of my favourite goals that um he's ever scored was that free kick in the ninety one um, FA Cup semi final. Outrageous. Absolutely unbelievable. This was definitely better. I'm even taking away my Spurs bias, um, but this was just. I, I just uh, like, like you said, he he's someone with such raw talent that I don't, we're never going to see anything like that. Mm. Um, also, um, just while we're on it, you know, for the noises out there, um, a, a good negotiator as well. I've heard um, so, certainly with uh, with Big Ralph. Loves loves the fish. Not not accepting that. It's it's not so much that. It's more that management are going to be in my ear for the next five days after any of your general comments. We're supposed to be here talking about sport, and you always have to bring something in. But uh, I, and it's, you know, I, I'm talking about the rare talents of um particular individual. Well, uh, speaking of speaking of fish, I should actually note because I, I wrote it somewhere just as a reminder. Um, you need to really go onto YouTube and, and read. Scotland obviously had McCoyst who came off the bench um, in this particular match, but you need to listen to the story about Gascoigne and the fish uh, up at Rangers, which also involves Gordon Jury, actually. So basically, this this game is more of a, uh, a gateway into this phenomenal yeah. story um, <laughs> that Coisty tells. And, and have a look on YouTube because you really need to watch it. And again, uh, I could easily tell it to you, but it's much better coming from, from the words of the great man and uh, in Alison McCoyst. So... Um, and then final point, really, I think it's fair to say that without um, without pushing things too far, it's it's certainly. I mean, I mean, I don't remember this game. I was too young to actually remember it. Obviously, oh, I've only ever seen this on highlights. But hmm. the the celebration coming back to that trip in <laughs> oh god, oh, I mean, it, it must be it must be the most famous celebration of any goal. I think certainly in English football ever. Yeah, well, it, do you know what that was? It was a massive two fingers up to everyone who'd written about them um, yeah. out in Hong Kong and put them down. And it's and let's be honest, he's just he's one of those characters who said, "I'm bigger than this." It's fine. 
uh, you know, I, I don't need to. I don't need to listen to you chatting rubbish about me writing writing all this stuff. We've done what we've come here to do. Um, interestingly, like, like we say about characters like him and, and and players like him and and that kind of era and how it sort of it was that hybrid between old amateur, you know, the amateur values and professional values. Um, that's really it, isn't it? I, I can't imagine. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna, this is really unfair. I'm just going to pick him because he's got a terrible lid. I can't imagine Grealish being absolutely slammed in the press and then scoring a goal and doing something like that. I, I, I imagine it would be something much more petulant and, um, and and less classy. But if you can call this classy, it's unfair. To, it's probably unfair to compare the eras. But um, that actually, you know what I mean, though. Yeah. Let's have a look. Have a look at uh, Gascoigne's interview after that game against Arsenal for for Spurs as well. That, that FA Cup semi final. Yeah. <laughs> it's without doubt probably the best football interview I've ever seen. Certainly, from, oh yeah, definitely uh, English perspective. Um, yeah. It's not very long, but he is absolutely all over the place and just offers absolutely everything as well. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. My final, definitely final thought on this for me is um, you, you hit the nail on the head there, and this is a great game, and, I'm, and I was happy to agree with you to put this one in. Um, but my shout was the uh, the four one victory over the Netherlands, and that was only on a. Uh, it was on the back of remembering the game and, and, and actually remember watching it live, well, not live, but on telly um, as, as, as a young kid. And um, again, it just encapsulated everything this tournament was to, to the public over here mm. and whilst it was going on. Um, that's another game that if you, if you want to sit down, I would spend 180 minutes of your life watching this game and, and the Netherlands game. Just do the rerun. Um, but this, fantastic, great choice. Re, you know, absolutely belting game. Loads of history, loads, loads of fun bits that came out of it. Um, not, not least the celebration. Well, absolutely, and uh, as you say, look, England went on to win a penalty shootout. You know, in the quarters against Spain, and that demolition job of the Netherlands against all of their uh, goats that they had, the Burkamps and the uh, the Hullets and so on. Um, an amazing performance from England uh, in front of, you know, a raucous crowd at Wembley on this day. And we leave you, as always, with the final few moments of uh, a piece of absolute magic from Paul Gascoigne. Responsibility is last goal for Scotland was a penalty in the European Championship finals four years ago now. And here's Gascoigne. Brilliant play! Oh! Take a bow for that! As if inspired by Seaman's save, Gascoigne leaving Hendry completely and smacking it in past Andy Gorham. What Scotland feared, what Scotland have seen at close quarters, the Rangers man, but very much an opponent today. moment of true brilliance from uh, from the great Gaza. Now it's time to get into our cars and leave Wembley as we head down the M4 and over the Severn Bridge past the glamorous city of, uh, of Newport uh, and into Cardiff 
for one of the all-time great moments in rugby history. If the greatest writer of the written word would have written that story, no one would have believed it. That really was something. Now, before we get into the meat of this fantastic and iconic game, just a little nugget for the uh, for the Badgers, as promised, with the cricket links between um, football and, and rugby. And this one, uh, interestingly, not only took place at the great, great ground of Cardiff Arms Park, but it was originally the home, believe it or not, of Glamorgan County Cricket Club, who debuted against Sussex, uh, the great Sussex, I should add, in 1926. Um, although, interestingly, I, I also found out that uh, Cardiff Rugby Club, or Cardiff RFC, actually started playing their matches at Sophia Gardens and moved uh, moved to the Arms Park around, uh, well, however, however long later. So, uh, yeah, just a little nugget for you all. Now, Seb, um, I've mentioned a little bit about the ground and we'll come to talk about uh, the ground and Cardiff uh, as a rugby venue in, in general. But, uh, you know, quite a quite a special occasion, this one, that we're still talking about nearly nearly 50 years on. Uh, what have we gone with for our, uh, for our rugby choice at number seven? We have gone with um, with the game, um, the the Barbarians uh, against New Zealand from 1973, mm. um, and I, everyone will know this game because we will talk about it in the end because it because it, it has the greatest try of all time and 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 sadly, um, as a lot of the players from that game will recall, it, that try actually happened very very early on in the match. <laughs> Um, and uh, most of the best rugby was played after it, and a lot of it was played by New Zealand, and it was actually just a great game of rugby, but it's forever remembered for that one moment of magic, uh, which is fine, you know, that's, 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 that's how, how you can have it, but there's mm. so much around um, the history of, of, of rugby in, in this game, um, and particularly the 70s, because this was when everyone bemoans um, how good defences are in, in, in the current modern game and, and how there's quite a lot of stalemates and, and too much kicking. And this was really an era where they just threw the ball around. And again, exactly what you alluded to in the last match, it's unfair to really compare the, the two different generations because yeah. there's too many differences between the two. But this, if you're... If you're a rugby fan, this is a, an era of rugby that you'll want to know about and you'll want to talk about and and, and see old old games. Um, and I dug into it a little bit. This this really was, was um, quite a few things that happened. Obviously, this is a great era for for um, for Welsh rugby. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to wax too lyrical about that because um, the players that we talk about. Um, Going going forward, we'll we'll do that for us. Yeah. Um. But but it was everything that was involved in this. Um. And really digging into the, the teams and um and and the history of the Barbars, um, which is really interesting because, um. How it was actually formed, I don't know if if many of the people know there was actually, um, it it was formed by William Topmile, who played for Cambridge, um. And he essentially wanted to go on tours to go and play other teams and mm. came up with the idea of uh, taking, uh, taking his home, home lot and a, and a few waves and strays to uh, Penarth, um, <laughs> obviously a place that you know well. Um, <laughs> and I thought you'd enjoy this link. So the, the actual spiritual home of the, of the Barbars is, um, 
is uh, um, Panath. Um, and, oh, you're going to have to forgive me because I've forgotten which, um, I, whether it was a centenary or there was a great celebration. And, and uh, it was before um, the Barbars played South Africa, I believe, um, in Cardiff. And they went and presented the club with a plaque um, right. uh, the, the day before, which was uh, just a nice little tip of the cap. Um, to to the history of of the barbarians, but anyway, sorry, massive tangent there. Re- really, the point I was getting at here is um, the Barbars team that we we look at for this. It really is a Lions team. Um, it's it's not um, it, obviously things have changed slightly with the with, with the availability of players and professionalism. So now, really, you, you tend to get um, you tend to get your your uh, ex-internationals uh great playing yeah and then the odd uncapped you know you know superb uncapped player um whereas you know looking at the side that they've put out in, in this i mean it, it's it's a who's who of of uh, rugby history um you know you've obviously got weird john mcbride in there fergus slattery Derek quinnell gareth edwards phil bennett mike gibson john dawes david duckham jpr I've only left out about three names there. <laughs> these are these are names that get into the the best teams ever for their countries. Um, it, yeah, just I, I suppose the technical term for players that you've just described is, is goatee. I think is the best yeah, yeah. use for them. But goatee, you know, you're right. And to think that Willie John McBride wasn't even captain uh, in this particular game. You know, this is a year preceding that famous, probably you know, for my money, the most famous Lions tour there's ever been. Yeah, um, certainly. You know, uh, to have him not even as the captain, and I think um, you mentioned just to, just to come back to your comment around the, the almost like a bit of a golden era, certainly for Welsh rugby, but the, the, the way that the game was played, and you said it was you know the try yes was was early on, and um, some of the, the skills around the players. You know, you mentioned about how things have moved very much more so in a, in a kicking direction or whatever you want to take about the modern game. But um, I, I think it's a good opportunity for me to actually. Um, just quickly bring up the the story. Well, the uh, the fact, I suppose, that I one of the best sports books I've ever read was the um, Ian McGeekin's autobiography, uh, mm. Line, which is well worth reading. And it was just interesting to um, hear about how he, you know, he was one of these almost sort of classic. I wouldn't even say classic sportsmen, just classic people, if you like, that grew up in that particular era. That um, you know spent all of his youth just outside, and he played football and rugby in the winter, and he played loads of cricket in the summertime. Um, very, very marvellous effort, that, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Do so. But the, it was all about the ball skills. It's something I never forget. And watching that try, it's almost the rugby equivalent of these, you know, great Brazil goals that we see from Pele's era with Garincha yeah. and, um, oh, I've forgotten. Who's the, uh, uh, who's the, um, it's not Aristotle, no, is don't, it? Don't, don't, no, Socrates, don't me, don't me. Don't me, don't me. <laughs> yeah, I keep, well, maybe I can understand why you've gone that way, but with Socrates. But looking at this side, and it is, you know, it's not it's not just one of those, you know, that try as it's known, but, you know, I watched it recently just in the run-up to, to this again, and it, <laughs> you, you do well. I mean, has there been a better try score? It was unbelievable. And yes, you've got some of the greats involved with it, but I think, was it, was it just the try that, that did it, or was it the fact that it was, you know, against against the Kiwis and it was at, at the Arms Park, or what? What, think, what? Apart from being such a great move, what else was so special about that? I think it was everything about it. So um, importantly, now that we've said it, it happened so early in the match. Um, the great Carwin James was coaching the the Barbarians. Now, mm. 
you may may or may not know this, but some of our generational fans out there will know that he he, he cut his teeth and made it made his fame um, coaching uh, the great Clinetley side of the of the seventies and and the side that beat the All Blacks at Stradley Park um, mm. in seventy two. So this was really kicking on from from that um, that Lions tour. Uh, that, that he took out in '71, which is the only um, Lions side to to win a series against the All Blacks outright. Mm-hmm. Um, then coaching a club team to beat the All Blacks a year later, and then bringing this team together this this team of of British All Stars, should we call it, and Irish? Sorry, British and Irish All Stars. Yeah. Um, and then for that to happen in the in the first five minutes of a game, it was it was just an eye opener for everyone. I think that's why everyone went mad. Um, and I, you know, it was just it's the it's just the flavour of the whole game. Um, just just sat well. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have the great Bill McLaren commentating in this. He had the flu, uh, but we had another great um, in Cliff Morgan. Um, mm. So that added that that extra um, extra bit of hoil, as as we call it, over the seven. Um, it just, I think it, you can't talk about great games of rugby without including this. Yeah. Um, and I think I put in there, um, in some of the notes that I made um, looking back at the game, um, I obviously watch a, a hell of a lot of rugby um, and, and something you don't see. And I think this is why people romanticise about this era and look back at it is the kick from, from the fullback. Um, sorry, it wasn't, was it? Um, anyway, the kick has gone to the fullback. Can, um, can, can I just quickly say that with with the correction section, you can pretty much say what you want. We'll, yeah, I'll just, we'll just caveat yeah. it next week. It's, it's, uh, yeah, essentially, the the, the, uh, the the kick's got Phil Bennett was covering at the back. He's taking the ball first, covering right at the back, and they've run it the length of the pitch. And you just don't see that very often in rugby anymore. Um, and this is one to great some of you England fans out there who, who would love to, to hear this. In fact, the last time I saw it was at Twickenham last year. The last bit of live sport I saw um, was uh, Justin Tipperick's try just after half-time um, at, at Twickenham, which was reminiscent. Tompkins took the ball off the kickoff uh, deep in the 22, set off, and um, and and the rest is, is history scored under the post, which is that's what fans want to watch, regardless of the result, regardless of the team that you support. When you, when you watch rugby, that's what you want to see. People throwing the ball around and... and you know, throwing caution to the wind, and and you know sometimes we get caught up with the winning is everything, and and I think this is a great reminder of actually matches like this is great. You know, you just want to watch good rugby. It's good rugby, but this <laughs> the the try is that good. It's not just one because we often we often in all sport and forget the, you know the big three that we talk about, but mm. in all sport we often um, I think in the modern age are, are almost told by some of the older generations right. You know, almost because it happened in the fifties or sixties, it's just regarded as the greatest. You know, whether it was, you know, whether it was a, a Biasteros, I know it was slightly after, or a Carl Lewis, or you know, somebody of that of that era or before. Um, a Jack, mm. Pickens, I suppose I'll pick another golfer, but <laughs> um, you know, this. <laughs> you, you, I'll say it again: you genuinely will will do well to find a better move or a better try, and actually just appreciate the actual skill of you mm. know, the team. I think it was one of the great reminders of. Um, for many people's money, you know, it is the um, the great team game in the sense of it's not just played by a team of players, but it's it's the one that relies on the team to do everything. You know, with cricket, it's easy. It's two it's two batsmen out there, or it's one bowler and one fielder in every kind of bit of play, if you like. Yeah. Whereas, 
yeah, this, yeah. it really kind of stood home. And, and you know, Gar- one thing that's really underestimated, Gareth Edwards is absolutely rapid when he, he yeah. picks it up just on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is he? Just outside the 10-metre line, I think, when he finally picks it up. And that yeah, tiny and then just tears down. Yeah, yeah. Just tear. I mean, yeah. No, no stopping him. I think it was a bit further on, but I'll let I'll let you uh, I'll let you pick up the slack for that. I think it was just outside the twenty-two. But um, <laughs> either way, it was an excellent. Yeah, e- either way. Um, I think the other the, the other thing as well. You know, we we're talking about the the different eras and and um, what makes it so great is I think sometimes we we look at like, exactly how you said. You look at you, you look at um, at, uh, at JPR and you think um, how has he got his pace known as a speedster how has you know how has Gareth Edwards got his pace how they're not professionals in any stretch of the mean mm. they're men that work five days a week some of them more you know they do hard bloody jobs and um, you know if you ever delve into the history of some of the Welsh rugby a, a great book for anyone who really I mean if you're English don't bother reading it but um, the recent um, recent just trying to remember who who wrote it. Anyway, either way, um, was it me? Welsh rugby. Um, pardon? Was it Mida? <laughs> but potentially Mida, <laughs> Welsh uncle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it talks about it. It talks in depth about um, actually how great it was to see these men step out of full time jobs mm. and come and play like this. You know, they weren't they weren't afforded the luxury of having two three days rest a week and and all the the finest luxuries and sports masseurs and you know sports psychologists and and that's fine. You know, it's not, I'm not saying they're they're any better or worse for having had that. We just we just live in a different time, but it does make it having played a little bit of relatively good level rugby. Mm. Um, it does really nail home actually how good these guys really were, and and imagine if they'd had. The, the facilities available to them in, in their day. It, I mean, God knows how good they'd have been. Mm, for sure. I've got a, a, I do have an answer. There is a correct answer as to why JPR was so quick, um, which was probably because he had not, not only the best sideburns ever in sport, but mm. it, it's almost that sort of go faster stripes. And that's what I've been trying to do, I think, a little bit with these sort of vaguely average sideburns. You know, I, I noticed I walked very quickly from the fridge back to my bedroom earlier today. So, um, you know, if that was me doing that, then JPR certainly with his facial hair, uh, I think has absolutely nailed it. And, and what a uh, I th- yeah, I think you're right. I think that's probably my beard slowing me down. Maybe I need to streamline <laughs> my face. This is it. This is it. But just a quick, um, a quick little uh, message about Gareth Edwards as well, because um, in true marvelous effort style, I'm not sure if you've picked up on this before, but um, I listened to a fantastic. He actually was on one of the Cardiff um, England Test matches. Uh, I think it was an Ashes game, perhaps 2015, and. Um, he was on TMS for an interview at lunchtime and he was talking about his you know, youth growing up uh, in West Wales, playing football for Swansea Town and he played a really good level of cricket, uh, I think potentially for Glamorgan age groups at the time. Um, mm. And just, I think, as a true uh, kind of stalwart, a bit like the Ian McGeekin School of Sport, where um, you know, we were blessed to have such amazing kind of multidiscipline sports people um, of the age. And you know, for, for most people's money, the best, uh, the best player that's ever gone the red jersey? One of, definitely. Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I think the difficulty is um, the difficulty is with rugby is that you're always going to have the argument about who was better in a different position. Mm. Um, but certainly one of the best ever. Um, I, unfor- unfortunately, the romanticism of the fly half in in um, in Wales is is really where where you get your money's worth. 
Um, there, there really is no contest with Gareth Edwards. He simply is the best scrum half to ever play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with a fly half, you just get a bit more debate because they each offer something different. In our generation, it would be the argument between who is better, Wilkinson or or um, or Carter. Mm. Um, and in, in that generation, you had um, oh, literally a, 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 a supply line of fly halves that played throughout the 70s for Wales, um, who were just phenomenal. Well, I, I'd have to quickly ask you on it, because the reason I ask, because I used to drink in the same pub as he did, uh, is Barry John. Would he be most people's most Barry John. number 10? Do you know what? Um, we may go on to this um, in another part. I know you've asked me, so we'll talk about it in this one. Um, Barry John will always be everyone's favourite. And I think he'll always be everyone's favourite because he left at his best. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, he probably still had another four or five years of his best left in him. Um, I don't know if you know this, um, but he retired at the age of 27. Mm. Um and he he couldn't cope essentially with the celebrityism and and the expectation um, of, of the public uh, for for him to perform every week. Um, uh, in my mind, he probably was, um, yeah, he probably was slightly better than Phil Bennett. But then Phil Bennett had more years. It, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? They both had, they both had their um, their uh, their own special talents. Um, but it, I mean, it's interestingly. I, I just imagine retiring now at twenty-seven. I, I'm, I'm, what would be the equivalent? Um, Harry Kane, not just because of Spurs. He's the, the England captain. Imagine him retiring tomorrow and saying, "Sorry, I can't. I can't put up with the media attention and the expectation on my my shoulders." Mm. You know, what what would people would people talk about him forever as the the lost talent or potentially the best ever striker for England? Probably. Um, and and I think that's where the where it goes with with Barry John, there's always going to be that little bit which is unknown. For sure. Well, let's let's hope that Harry Kane isn't retiring anytime soon. No, let's hope. God no. Otherwise, Spurs will get re- relegated. Yeah. But uh, but look, we've given you uh, lots of spiel, and we'll we'll certainly come back to um, discuss a little bit more about Cardiff uh, in a later episode in terms of its place in the rugby world. But um, let's leave you with this uh, piece of absolute magic. Uh, nearly fifty years on from this great game. Uh, in the Welsh capital. And England's captain, the hooker. McBride trying to get. Wilkinson going. Williams again. Everyone with him. Sid going. Very little support. Good tackle by Slapperio Island. Almost on the halfway line. Kirkpatrick to Williams. This is great stuff. Phil Bennett covering. Chased by Alistair Scone. Brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. John Williams. Brian Williams. Colin. John Dawes. Great dummy. David, Tom David, the halfway line, brilliant by Quinnell. This is Gareth Edwards, a dramatic start. Worst goal. (laughs) 
ladies and gentlemen. Lord Ian Botham. 111, including 18 extras. And the bowling figures, RGD Willis, 15.1, 43-8. Ian Botham won for 14, Chris Old won for 21, Graham Dilly none for 11, and Peter Willey no wicket for four. Well, I said this morning the way Willis was running in that I'd expect him to get wickets. I don't think anybody could have expected such a fantastic return. Now, we've actually been very lucky in this episode uh, getting to discuss probably three of the greatest ever sports people to have come off this island. Um, and we leave you no different with the, uh, with the cricket choice for number seven uh, in the greatest games of all time. Now, uh, the usual one for this episode, our quick uh, shoot over to the uh, cricket's, uh, cricket link between the sports. Now, the, the link between this one is actually with the football um, because the, the great talisman that we're about to hear about was... Um, very famously a player during his cricket career for England uh, in the Football League for Scunthorpe United and Yeovil Town. Um, and a great quiz question just for any of you budding quizzes out there, uh, Mr Ludlow in particular. Um, which three England captains represented Scunthorpe United? Which three England captains represented Scunthorpe United? Um, great one for the, uh, for the pub quiz uh, when we return in April. Now, we are, of course, talking from that uh, particular piece of commentary um, about probably the uh, most famous, well, until 2005, the most famous Ashes Test match of all time, uh, England versus Australia at Headingley in 1981. And uh, England coming into the game 1-0 down in the series with the classic, <laughs> almost obligatory first Test defeat to Australia, uh, which took place at Trent Bridge. Um, and a draw. Uh, Lords kept England in the series, so to speak, but only by the skin of their teeth, with England being bowled out for... 174 in the first innings at Headingley in reply to Australia's dominant 401. Um, and when the great Sir Beefy Botham walked out at 41 for four uh, in England's second innings, I think for all intents and purposes, Seb, it looked like England was slipping to an easy 2-0 defeat. Oh, most definitely. Um, I think this, for me, uh, is probably the game of cricket that got me into cricket. Um mm. Uh, obviously, a few years before I was born. Was um, get out. Um, you'll, you'll keep. Um, you teed that one up very well. Yeah, I certainly did. <laughs> but this is, um, yeah, I, almost almost like I said in, in, in the last game about the the Barbados New Zealand game. Um, that's a, that's one for the for the uh, for the rugby noises. This one's for the for the cricket noises. Everyone knows this game. Everyone remembers it. I think you're probably right to say about 2005 being famous, but what I would say about 2005 is there were some excellent individual performances and excellent. it was an excellent team performance, whereas this series was really about that one man, wasn't it? Um, Very much. You know, and just not, not only, not only a, a talented footballer and cricketer, also um, a talented father to... Uh, to to have a grandson who's in the uh, current Six Nations squad as well. Correct. So there's there's your rugby link for the yeah, uh, for sure for um for for the noises out there. Um, 
but I, again, I'm 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 shooting myself in the foot for saying his name and getting it wrong when you asked me for the stats in in the in the uh, <laughs> the five the game of fives. Um, but you wouldn't you wouldn't I think a lot of people would have guessed Beefy because on the back of this, who who would expect him to go in and and hit one of the finest innings ever by an Englishman in in Test cricket. I think before, and we've spoken about this kind of not just in the run up to this particular podcast, but just when we've been having a few beers, you know, playing cricket together over the years. And I think um, almost more so because Beefy was England captain going into this series. And, mm. you know, he'd been dropped quite publicly from the captaincy as well. And it hadn't always been clear that um, his, you know, commitment as a sportsman or his, you know, main priorities in life were all about. Um, yes, they were always about winning, of course, but it was always, you know, he was looked at as one of those kind of almost George Best figures, I suppose, for, mm. for all intents and purposes. And, you know, a bit of a playboy and he enjoyed a party and he enjoyed, uh, you know, a night out and all the rest of it. But it kept him in through his, you know, sheer talent alone. And I think it's, a, it's certainly one of those things, isn't it, where, especially in cricket, when you think about captains, you always think about that first person whose name goes on the team sheet and you go, right, who's a shoe in? Shall we make him captain? And and more often than not, um, and we've seen it with some great players. I mean, KP, for example, I probably should look up the stats, but I don't think he was a very successful captain. One of one of the best players in, in, in the uh, modern era. Um, NASA, his stats as an actual player, probably not that great. Joe Root's stats when he first took over as captain weren't great. Obviously, he's now turned the corner. Um, so it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, to be a, a, a good captain, you have to be a good player. And, and massively highlighted in, in this instance, because the man that took over from Botham had formerly, he was the former captain, I believe, and he yeah. took over to kind of um, rectify the situation. Um, and that's Mike Brearley. Uh, and if you look at his average as a player, he was a ge- genuinely an awful player. Um, <laughs> just, just terrible, terrible stats. I'm not even going to bother boring you with what they are. They all I can tell you is they're terrible. Um, but he captained 31 out of the 39 tests he played for England. So that is how valuable he was as a skipper. Um, and his win percentage has not been beaten since. Uh, which is 18 out of 31 tests. Mm. So his win percentage is still the highest of any England captain. Um, and it's just a, a, something I found really interesting because he's, this is one of those nausea stats to talk about. And they go, who's the most successful England captain? And everyone sort of scratches their head and you will have the nauseas and the people who really know their cricket will go, oh, yeah, it was definitely Brearley. But he's almost a forgotten man because he was so terrible. It was just, it's just a really not uh, so, so um, unmemorable as a player, but mm. fantastic as a captain. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, we talk about um, we talk about Ashes cricket and for us, you know, growing up growing up in England, it's so easy to just say and kind of all your stories generally about cricket of the great games will be England-Australia Test. And to be honest with you, when we were putting together the initial 10 games for this list, it, okay, there's a few exceptions, but it's, it's pretty easy for us, or certainly for me, to be able to just go, right, here's 10 Ashes tests, let's talk about them. Because oh, yeah. it's not just the fact it's it's one of the oldest rivalries you know, in international sport, but it's brought us some of the great the great games. And, and I think purely, you know, more so because it's test cricket. And what might anybody, 
he wasn't that. When you look at the Australians, you know, with the likes of Alan Border, a young Alan Border in that team who went on to become arguably their greatest ever captain, uh, or started the trend for Steve Waugh's team to take over. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What is he good for? <laughs> cool. um, really, wasn't that sort of talisman player, that really sort of doer guy that we all looked to, but. He just had that nous and that ability with his mind. It was almost as if his brain was the biggest weapon that he had as a sportsman. And he got the best out mm. of Beefy because to have an asset that good, we talked about Gascoigne in this game. You know, Beefy and Gascoigne, there isn't perhaps too much actually dissimilar to those two particular players in terms of their you know, <laughs> ability on and off the field. So to get the best mm. out of them on the field, it took a certain type of individual just to make sure that they um, you know, knew how to man manage them. And, and that's not always in, in cricket. It's not always... Um, you know, I suppose the difference between cricket and, and our, our other two games is often it is the captain that takes over that man management role. Um, the captain's role is very different to the two other games that kind of last for 80 minutes and 90. But uh, I know mm. that you had some thoughts on this particular point. Well, yeah, definitely. You, you're 100% right, because actually the, the, what, what the captain does in, in football and, and uh, rugby is that they're, they're that link between the referee and um, the rest of the team. That's what they do. Um, that that's what their job is. They're not there to get up the players. They're expected to just crack on and, and, and do what they need to. Whereas test cricket's a game of chess. You know, it's 15 sessions of cricket to get 20 wickets or score as many runs as possible. Well, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I know what you're, where you're coming from, but I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. Because, I, I well, let's not get into this too much now, but I, I think when you look at the likes of people like uh, like Terry Butcher or Paul O'Connell, I think those people very much do uh, g up the other people and sort of make them know why they're there. There's not that sort of tactical necessary element to their uh, to their game, but they are there as that sort of talisman and that, mm. that driving force behind the the aggressive nature or the uh, you know the the goal mm. of the overall team. I, I I completely agree with what you're saying, but the difference and here and here is where the difference is is that you wouldn't get a player like Mike Brearley playing in a football 11 or a rugby 11 because or a rugby 15 sorry because you can't carry a player whereas mm. in this because it is that game of chess and because actually having someone and England teams of the future that we will talk about um after this after this series would take great note from um Mike Brearley's playbook um of how to manage exceptional talents because there'll be one that we do talk about um, I'm very certain I can't remember the, the games I probably should know shouldn't I but uh, we're, I'm sure we will talk about a, at least one game involving um, one Kevin Peterson um, <laughs> who who certainly divides opinion and you spent many hours convincing me that I'm I'm wrong with my view and you, you probably have slightly turned my view on, on him but um, certainly he's one person I can think of who hasn't who wasn't managed very well um, so actually, this you know, it's, it, there is an importance um, to having someone like Brearley who can can gel the side together and might not necessarily be the most talented player, but certainly a, a talented man manager. Yeah, and it's good to touch upon the captaincy. I think it's something we haven't necessarily kind of, and it's been interesting to kind of explore some of the different areas of all the games that we've gone through, whether it's through a talisman or through a captain or through the venue or the commentator and. Uh, we'll come back to the commentator certainly in this this particular instance. Um, but with uh, you know with Jeff Boycott departing for uh, 46 with a score on 133, I think for four, and um, when Beefy walked out in that second innings, I mean, uh, you know what an effort to get to where he did. But um, England needed another 85 um, to make Australia bat again. And Graham Dilly, you know, one of the bowlers at this point, walked 
absolutely sterling performance from him to come in, uh, I think at number nine or number eight, and uh, mm. support the great man in, in that innings. And I think, you know, rightly so, he's one of the most remembered. Now, um, just uh, sort of, you know, we can't necessarily go on uh, through every single session, a minute of every uh, every spell, but uh, we haven't even mentioned the great and the late Bob Willis for his um, famous spell on that final day. Uh, mm. With Australia 56 for one, and this is ridiculous. Needing 74 to win with nine wickets in hand, and uh, and Bob Willis they described I think as the man possessed uh, when he was given the ball by Mike Brearley, who you know we spoke yeah. about. We got the best out of both of them, but um, I mean, what an unbelievable spell! And it was amazing to see Bob Willis um, not not even really celebrate some of those early wickets that he was taking in that. Uh, no, I- I think I was just the thing about him is certainly as a commentator in his later life, um, he was quite a dour person, and that was kind of the you know the thing that really got him, and, and so different from the man that went on the pitch. And um, I think this that that's really what people forget about him. He was such a fierce um, uh, competitor when he when he had the ball in his hands, and and this is the kind of uh, we don't really have. Um, players or bowlers like this anymore, I don't think. Not with that kind of gnarly aggressiveness. We have fast bowlers and we have people that throw the nut down at over 90 miles an hour and, and people wet the bed over it and think, oh my God, that's it. Because yeah, Joffre can do that. He's going to take five wickets every time. But, you know, cricketers know how to play that fast ball, but they don't know how to play someone who is mean. You know, you, you kind of, you like your West Indies, um, like the, the, those bodyline bowlers and you know there's a reason why that doesn't happen anymore and you know there's something we, we can talk about another time yeah. but this is certainly a great example of when when the chips are, are really against you you need someone um, to just grab it by the, by the scruff of the neck and, and, and just go right let's go let's let's have this and, and, and that's what he did he, he absolutely capitulated it and sadly I mean you should never you should never dumb down any achievement by any, by any player um, but both him getting six for in the first innings and then also getting a 50 and 149 not out. It would have been poetic for him to, to get a 10 for. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but, I mean, let's not take anything away from Bob Willis and that. I mean, you, you need a catalyst and, and, you know, Beefy got us there, got us, you know, within sniffing distance and, and, and for an unlikely victory mm. at, the, at the point um, of, of them going out to bowl. But... Could you could you name a better spell? Well, there was a, there was a beefy five for one, but I I don't think that was necessarily against Australia, or certainly wasn't in this game. So um, no, I mean off the bat, you know, it's it's probably cricket, certainly English cricket's most iconic spell, um, bar probably Flintoff. You know, it was probably repeated by Flintoff in two thousand and five at Edgbaston. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it just shows you the kind of magnitude of that. Now, um, just quickly in terms of that uh, in terms of that commentary piece. Uh, you mentioned in the last game that sadly Bill McLaren was um, was away from from that particular Barbar's um, New Zealand game, but um, we were very lucky in this match to have the great, uh, almost the Bill McLaren of uh, of cricket, if you like, Richie Benno. Uh, yeah, for <laughs> most of this, and, and a man I think we owe our entire podcast to in many respects. Oh yes, yes. Um, and I think I'd go as far as to say that listening to. Uh, or watching a rugby match without Bill McCarran or a cricket match sometimes without Richie Benno is almost like watching a, a nature documentary that's not done by Sir David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah. oh, definitely. Yeah, he's like, um, you know, that's a very accurate description, I think. Oh, yeah, he's, he's like an old pair of jeans. It's a good fit. <laughs> just just going to let that joke hang there, like the bad <laughs> fart that it is. <laughs> 
Um, uh. But it, it was a famous shout just quickly from a Richie Benno perspective of, uh, I think it was must have been this match when Beefy has smacked yet another boundary into the, uh, in, into the confectionery stall and out again. But um, I just want to raise a quick story um, of a memory of Richie Benno because I'm not sure how many opportunities we'll have to talk about his commentary in particular. But I think it was this particular game that one of my old bosses actually at work had mentioned. Uh, I think both of them had hit a ball that looked destined to go to the boundary for four. Um, and Richie had kind of called it, but hadn't realised the ball was going to plug. So the commentary went something like this. Uh, and uh, and that's going to be four runs. And then the ball plugged. And then he said, if they ran very fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what makes the commentator great, though, isn't it? Being able to know when you've got it wrong and make make good of it. In that split second, if only we had that kind of skill here at marvellous effort, that perhaps we wouldn't have to have a, a correction section introduced. But wow. uh, but look, what an absolutely magnificent test match! I think for a certainly for our generation, you, you mentioned mm. someone who got into cricket after this game, or not, you know, so long after this game, but it was one of the defining um, matches of, of international sport and one of the great rivalries as well uh, in Ashes cricket. So. Um, you know, final story was the fact that the, the 500 to 1 odds that were offered by Ladbroke, supposedly some Australian players had um, put some money on England to win the game at 500 to 1. Um, and we leave you with some of the final few moments uh, of what was a very, very special test match in Yorkshire. Bat, just the league by to reduce the Australian target to 19. Everyone's back for Ray Bright. and it is one of the most fantastic victories ever known in test cricket history Bob Willis eight wickets a fabulous performance England have won this match after one of the most astonishing fightbacks you could ever see an incredible performance to square the series, the Australians having won at Trent Bridge. The second was drawn at Lords. And in the third Cornhill test here at Headingley, England have won an incredible victory. The margin is 18 runs. Ray Bright bowled Willis for 19. Alderman remain not out, no score. And this last wicket is one that will be remembered for a long, long time. Well, Bob Willis taking his life in his hands. He's just smashed it in at the middle stump. And he'll remember that sight for a long time. An incredible victory there for England in one of sport's most incredible rivalries. Now, Seb, uh, I've got two bits of news. Um, one good, one bad. What do you want first? Oh, start with the bad news, then yeah. things can only get better. <laughs> well, the bad news is that uh, the the unnamed football South London are currently one nil up with their apparently oh. their first touch in the box. Brilliant, uh, and and their only shot on or off target is is a goal. So um, that's the bad news. The good news uh, is that we're actually approaching the end of the pod. Oh. I suppose more good news. For our listeners, you know, per se, but um, you know, good news nonetheless. I'm sure. 
uh, for anyone that is listening now. Um, it's just time to really round up with a, a quick preview of the weekend. I wanted to actually start just on the football theme with um, Europa League. It's a complete mirror image for the next round, but um, some big games involving um, well two English clubs in, in Chelsea who are away to Atletico uh, or Atletico tomorrow uh, tomorrow evening, and then Manchester City away at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Manchester mm. City, the favourites for the Champions League. What do you uh, what do you make of that? Uh, this season well um, no fans um, anything can happen um, and I think you can't take it away from them um, they are playing some fantastic football and if they continue to take the form um, that they have in the Premiership into into the Champions League then they'll be a very hard team to beat mm, for sure for sure and I think the only competitors they've got so far are, are for most people's money are Bayern Munich um, who are away to one of Gaza's old clubs in in Lazio tomorrow night as well? Mm. Uh, quickly, if you haven't seen, uh, <laughs> well, if you haven't seen Gascoigne's first ever goal for Lazio, do watch it because it was against Roma. Um, but secondly, if uh, if you haven't seen him arrive at Rome Airport, well worth uh, well worth a trip to the uh, the Google archives. Yeah, archives, right? yeah. Uh, when he announced himself on the scene in Rome. So um, we're back to uh, a test match as well on Wednesday. Great timing for. Uh, those in the UK with a 9am start, probably, well, great timing for us, maybe not so great timing for our uh, employers with a nine o'clock start for the day night. Oh. Um, looks like hopefully Archer and Anderson um, should be fit. But looks like Bairstow, Bairstow potentially back in with, with Mark Wood. So lots of options for England to choose choose from. Um, quick uh, quick preview from you on on, on the third test. Um Let's see the let's see what side they name first on the rotation, um, and just hope they they butt their ideas up. Um, I think day night's going to make a big difference as well. Um, I think it's it's going to it's certainly going to affect the way the ball's moving. Um, it'd be interesting to see. It'll be one of the first ones that I've been glued to. Let's put it that way because I'm going to be stuck at home, so I'll just bang it on the uh, bang it on screen too, and, uh, and be able to see a lot more of it. For sure, and amazing to see the. A new stadium in Ahmedabad with 110,000 capacity. Mm. Let's just say that again: 110,000 capacity. I think so. So far, the only match that's been there has been uh, President Trump's welcome uh, by Prime Minister Modi. So it'd be good to have some sport yeah. uh, celebrate from the uh, from the stadium. And I think apparently 50,000 is, is the figure I was quoted by by somebody, not somebody official. I can tell you that, but <laughs> probably someone who got their info from Twitter or my uh, my ESPN rugby stats guide. So. And then just on that note, actually, um, back with the with the Six Nations next week, or, or this week, I suppose I should say. Yeah, this um, yeah this weekend, um, club matches too. Some some good games to look at there. Um, Bristol Leicester should be interesting. Um, Wasps London Irish, see see how they bounce back. Um, but obviously, the Six Nations is a big one. We want to talk about um, Italy Ireland on the the, the, the first kickoff on on Saturday. That that'll be interesting to see if Ireland can. Um, Actually, score some tries um, and get some get some attack going. Then it's the big one, isn't it? It's the one we all want to see. The 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 biggest rivalry in rugby, um, Wales v England. Um, it's it's anyone's, isn't it? England haven't played well. Wales have played well enough against fourteen men. Um, have you have you have you have you not been to Worthing Raiders versus Horsham? I, I actually have, and it's um, it, it's it's a great place to go boozing. Um, Worthing Raiders. Uh, Horsham, it's okay, I guess. Just being Carry unfair. 
Carry on. Um, and then uh, really the big news for the week is um, the loss of nine French players to COVID-19. So we are not sure yet whether that game will go ahead France-Scotland on the Sunday. So we'll see what happens. But if they have lost those players, that really throws the tournament wide open. And potentially if Wales beat um, England at the weekend, they could go on uh, to win the championship. For sure. We'll really look forward to, uh, to watching those and uh, reviewing those with you next Monday. Um, which just leaves me to move on nicely to uh, to Cots quiz for this week. Um, and a bit of a European theme, obviously, through our games that we've covered uh, in this particular episode. And um, I just wish to raise a, a European theme for my uh, for my quiz as well. So uh, for the three questions, we're going to stick to the, uh, the, the treble theme across uh, our three great sports. The rugby question, Seb, this week is going to be uh, on the, the European Rugby Champions Cup, otherwise commonly known as the Heineken Cup uh, for most people's money. Uh, I'd like you to please name the five of you and uh, anyone listening who can be bothered to uh, do, do the quiz. Uh, the five clubs that have won the Heineken Cup only once. So the five, there are five clubs that have, have won the Heineken Cup, but only ever once. So I'd like you to name those, please. Uh, similarly, in the football, I'd, please, I'd like you to please name the 10 clubs that have won the European Cup once. And for any of you nauses that were asking about six and five nations... Yes, this includes the Champions League and the European Cup from when that started. So the 10 clubs still won the European Cup once. Uh, and in cricket, now, surprisingly, it, it's pretty difficult to get questions on European club cricket. So uh, I'd, <laughs> I'd like to know who uh, is the only team that's been runner-up in the World Cup three times, the only team to have come second in the World Cup three times. Um, because I feel partly that this is a bit of an easier question, uh, I'd like to know the venue, the year and the opposition in all three of those matches. The venue, the year and the opposition in three of those matches. We'll certainly decide on what the prize will be during the week and get back to you next week. Um, and decide, I suppose, a bit of a formula for what actually constitutes uh, a winning a winning answer or set of answers in what is ultimately uh, a semi, it seems impossible, quiz to kind of get right over the course of a week on Instagram or, uh, or email. So uh, if there's anything else from you this week, Seb, um, from me good stuff well certainly join us next week and thanks ever so much for uh, for tuning into Marvellous Ever That as always uh, join us next week when we look back at some of the most famous lions in Africa uh, football's most controversial divine intervention and one of the all time great innings from West Indian royalty this has been Marvellous Ever That he's been Seb Probert Broster see you later and we'll see you very soon. Goodbye.